Hi, I'm Jake Parker, and this is my podcast, Beyond Fit. My goal is to help you live a happier and healthier life by providing actionable knowledge and advice about a wide range of health and fitness topics, as well as self-improvement. If you want to find out more about me, visit my website, jake-parker.com. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hi guys, welcome to the Beyond Fit podcast, episode 65. Today, the topics I wanted to bring up was, first of all, how to optimize your sleep and the essentials for sleep. And the second topic is about macros. That's going to be uh, a tip and then a theory that I have about tracking macros and how that falls in line with uh, just eating a regular number of calories each day and how the experience of tracking macros really helps you uh, to intuitive eat. So first off, sleep. I know that this is something that I wish I would have started prioritizing a lot earlier on in my personal fitness. It seems like it's been a huge game changer for me. I know where you where you stand if you are one of those people that says, oh, you know, sleep is for the week. I can sleep when I'm dead. I definitely used to fall into that category of thinking, uh, thinking that sleep isn't super important. And the thought that I think a lot of people have that I definitely had that's even more harmful than not realizing how important sleep is, is thinking that it's an attribute or a positive quality to be able to function on little sleep. Because really, uh, the facts show in sleep research and things of that nature that we do not function optimally unless we're getting enough sleep. Now, what is enough sleep for most people is the first thing I wanted to go over. Uh, the general guidelines you've probably heard before are seven to nine hours. So first of all, people vary a lot and that's why it, it, it says seven to nine hours. You might be a person who uh, is better off on close to nine hours of sleep or maybe you do okay with seven hours. I would definitely recommend to anyone, even if you do feel like you're okay, on seven hours of sleep is try for a few nights or preferably like a week or two and a little an extended period of time to get more close to eight hours of sleep you might notice that you feel a lot better i thought that i functioned okay on seven hours of sleep or less for a long time but getting that extra sleep is such a game changer and i know a lot of us probably think or you'll hear a lot of people say you know that they're some sort of a genetic outlier, or, you know, I don't need as much sleep as the next person, but really a huge, huge, huge percentage of, you know, the people uh, that you interact with on a regular basis, just the human population in general, I suppose, is going to fall more into that camp that does best off about eight or more hours of sleep. Uh, seven is the low recommendation. And then the other thing, in addition to that, that I wanted to point out is that this doesn't mean that getting in bed seven and a half or seven hours before you have to be up is going to count for getting that minimum of seven hours of sleep. Uh, what you really would preferably like to do is have sort of a nightly routine, which I'll go over, but make sure you're not, you know, falling into the trap of like, okay, if, if the last thing I see on the clock is 11 o'clock and I have to wake up at six o'clock, well, that doesn't necessarily quantify as seven hours of sleep. You know, if you sit in your bed for 20 minutes, uh, dozing off. In addition to that, there is a very, very limited amount of people who do function regularly off closer to maybe five or six hours of sleep, but these are extreme genetic outliers. And I think that I've seen before, I'm not a hundred percent on this, so don't quote me, but it is something like maybe less than a half a percent of the population. So probably not going to be the 
person listening to this podcast right now, I definitely know that's not me, but you know, hey, crazier things have happened. Something that is also very interesting to note, and I'll post to Dr. Matthew Walker because he's someone who I've listened to to get a lot of the knowledge that I have about sleep, but uh, he has said before that when you get under seven hours of sleep, you can measure objective impairments in performance and cognition. So your thinking, your physical activity, just going about your day-to-day life, anytime you get less than seven hours of sleep, according to studies, you are going to notice a decrease in your level of capability in all aspects. The two biggest things here being, uh, number one, if you have a typical job that requires you to think clearly and maybe get creative, use numbers, um, you know, in some aspect, think clearly and be focused, whatever that is, you're going to struggle at your job. And then in addition to that, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably someone who enjoys exercise and tries to do that on a regular basis. So you're also going to struggle in your physical capabilities as well. I would go as far to say that if you sleep more like four to five hours for a certain night, for some reason, I would probably almost gear towards taking a nap over going and pushing yourself in the gym because it's so hard to get an effective workout when you have underslept, especially chronically, which is why this is something that you need to tone in over time and really get consistent with. Another important note along this line is that you want to be careful to try not to operate on sleep, debt, and credit. So what that means is typically most people will undersleep a little bit during the weekdays when they go to their job and then oversleep on the weekends when they don't have to work. And what this does is essentially trying to earn back that sleep debt that you lost. But studies show that this doesn't work. You can't earn back lost sleep. I know that anecdotally, uh, I definitely can feel this. You know, if you've been if you've been lacking in your sleep for a few nights, it definitely does feel a lot better to sleep late or sleep for a long time. Anecdotally, that totally makes sense. But you can't make that a consistent thing. You can't uh, just think that you can go through your life undersleeping on the days that you have work or whatever it is that you get up early for and then sleeping in more on the weekends. That just is not physiologically how we're built to to be just as people. Uh, if you want to look at it more along those lines as well, evolutionarily speaking, I like to go along these lines a lot. Evolutionarily speaking, our bodies adapted to be able to store excess body weight in fat, which a lot of people may not realize literally what fat is for is to store excess energy. Now that kind of gets lost in today's, you know, diet culture and things of that nature, but, but really that's what, that's what fat is for. So we have these mechanisms in our body that let us store excess energy from food, but we are, we did not grow to evolve a way to store excess sleep uh, for lack of better phrasing. If that makes sense, we can't, you know, sleep 10 hours, three nights, and then go six hours for three nights and expect it to just even out. What we want to do is try to get as close to you can as your optimum for your optimum level of sleep each night. In addition to that, something that's that's really big is trying to go to bed and wake up at the same time, having regularity in your sleep patterns. Uh, the way I do this is I definitely fall victim to sleeping in a little bit more on the weekends or days that I don't have anything going on. But for the most part, what I'll try to do is usually wake up between six o'clock and eight o'clock if I can every day, uh, even having it be like eight o'clock at the latest on the weekends and going to bed anytime from, I don't know, maybe 9.30 to 11.30 so that I can usually fall in that eight hour window of sleep that I like to get. So just be aware of that. Be aware that 
Uh, it's most optimal if you can go to bed and wake up at the same time each day. It's going to promote more regularity in your sleep. It's going to help you fall asleep easier. You're going to be more uh, in rhythm when you're sleeping, and you're just going to have a better time with it and feel better overall, just get better results. With that being said, I have five tips here to help you get better sleep. Maybe you're doing some of these already. Maybe you were totally unaware that some of these played into uh, how well you sleep. But anyway, the first one I have here is and a lot of us also probably know this one anecdotally, but you want to sleep in a cold room uh, as close to 65 degrees as you can make it. That's probably pretty cold for some people, but uh, the studies do show that it's much easier for us to fall asleep and stay asleep in a cold room. I think that we probably all know the feeling of waking up uh, too hot or sweating in a room that that got too hot or having too many blankets or whatever. So always go towards colder. You always want to lean towards a colder temperature in a room. It's going to help you sleep better and fall asleep better. Another tip here, you want to limit alcohol and caffeine when possible because that's going to inhibit your sleep as well. Uh, I know caffeine's pretty obvious to most people. You want to stop having your coffee and energy drinks early in the afternoon uh, as much as possible. For myself, like I mentioned, my, my bedtime is usually like 9.30 to 11.30. So I usually don't want to have any caffeine past two or three o'clock about if I can help it. Maybe four o'clock is pushing it. But if I go much past that, I usually find it hard to, to sleep at my normal bedtime. Uh, the one people are probably more surprised about here is alcohol. I know that we can all, again, talk anecdotally. We, can, we have experienced maybe if you have a little buzz or if you're drunk, it's easier to fall asleep. But what happens is you don't sleep as well. Your body can't get into those deep stages of sleep that it needs to get into and you're also more likely to have disrupted sleep. So uh, I know that myself, you know, if I am drinking, then a lot of times I'll wake up during the night and that interrupts our sleep patterns and that's a lot more likely to happen when we're drinking alcohol. Uh, overall, you just, you want to avoid any of those substances. Uh, if you use marijuana as well, that has similar effects to alcohol as far as interrupting your sleep. So that's just something you wanna look out for. Like I said, I know that I mean, I'm not going to say I'm perfect. I go out and drink sometimes and I'll, I'll sleep drunk, but I, I really try to limit that to no more than once a week when I can help it. I promise you that'll definitely make a big difference. Another thing that I've observed is you just feel so tired after maybe you had a weekend when you drank two nights and you just feel so tired and drained. It's because you're not getting that good quality sleep when you're drinking alcohol before bed and have alcohol in your system or are drunk. So just be careful and be mindful of that. Another tip is to have a nightly routine, something that helps you wind down. Maybe it's a warm shower or bath. Maybe it's reading. I really like to read before bed. Uh, a big thing here is try to avoid that blue light that we get from our laptops, phones, TVs, uh, any other screens. You can preferably do this by shutting off any electronics about an hour or if you can, two hours before bed. I know that's not completely likely or feasible for everybody, but something that I do is if I'm watching a screen before bed, I will put my blue light glasses on so that I can uh, block that to some extent because that blue light is a suppressant to melatonin. Melatonin is what, is what helps us fall asleep. It's a chemical in our bodies uh, that gets suppressed. That blue light makes us feel awake and alert. So you want to limit that as much as possible. And if you can, you even want to limit any unnatural light. It's best to be in a dark room. Maybe you have a lamp. Maybe you have a candle or something like that if you really want to get fancy with it. But you want to really limit light, especially especially that blue light at night because that's what's going to keep you up. And something I kind of forgot with caffeine, uh, blue light sort of is similar in the sense that 
you might be able to fall asleep if you're really adjusted to caffeine, but things like blue lights are something that's going to stimulate your system and it's going to be hard to come down from that. Same with caffeine, it's stimulating your system. Caffeine is a half-life of close to eight hours, they say. So these things are going to stimulate you. And even if you do find it you know, easy to fall asleep after you've been watching TV, after you've had caffeine late in the day, uh, it's still not going to be optimized. You're not going to fall into the deep sleep, which the deep sleep is the most important uh, part of sleep that we get. I am going to include a link to a graph of the different stages of sleep so you can better see that. But really what we're aiming for is that deep sleep that's very restorative mentally as well as, well as physically. And the faster you can get into that and the longer you can stay in that um, by staying away from some of these things is going to be just so much better for your sleep and your health overall. Along the lines of the nightly routine is the fourth tip, which is if possible, try to make your bedroom and bed only a place of rest and sleep. Uh, I know that sometimes we fall into the trap of doing work or, you know, watching TV, whatever it is in our bedroom. Uh, preferably, you want to only make it a place of sleep because it's going to make it easier to fall asleep and stay asleep. If you have many distracting things in your bedroom, like for TV, like TV for example, you're going to find it harder to stay in a regular sleep pattern. You're going to be more drawn to watching TV before bed, which is also uh, obviously, like I said, ineffective. I personally don't have a TV in my bedroom. I find that it makes it a lot easier to just simply read books before bed. I know a lot of people enjoy that, but you have to be careful with associating lots of different activities with your bedroom because that's going to keep your, your mind stimulated when you are in your bedroom, which should just be a place to unwind or to go to sleep. Okay, and the last tip I have as far as sleep, uh, again, hopefully most of the people listening to this podcast are cognizant of this, but um, you, can, you can forget how much regular exercise impacts your sleep. Getting regular ex exercise is a huge, huge, huge key to getting better sleep because it's going to make your body feel more worn down at the end of the day and tired and in need of repair. And just getting that blood flow and getting that physical activity every day, or at least on a regular basis, say, you know, every other day is really going to help you sleep so much better especially you'll find if you work maybe a sedentary job, that's where it's even going to be more important if you aren't getting active during the day. So that, that regular exercise is a huge key to consistent and optimized sleep. Like I sort of mentioned, but just wanted to make clear, the benefits of sleep are so numerous. They're, it's going to help you physically as well as mentally. It's going to immensely help you in your journey to uh, gain muscle or lose fat. Uh, it's been shown in a lot of studies that people that are sleeping more regularly and sleeping longer, not necessarily uh, just as long as possible, but getting that that reasonable eight hours of sleep are so much more effective with their health and fitness goals. And then, like I said, you're going to think so much more clear. If you're someone who feels like you need coffee to wake up in the morning, you need some sort of uh, caffeine midway through the day. I, I think that if you if you gear towards getting more sleep, you'll find that those things aren't as necessary for you. And eventually, maybe you can dump them. Not that you necessarily have to that they're that they're bad in and of themselves but it can be unhealthy to rely on a stimulant, uh, on a caffeinated beverage, something like that. Before going on to the next topic, just want to include a few things about waking up in the morning. So the first big key when you wake up is you want to try to not hit snooze. Uh, the way that I do this is putting my alarm clock across my bedroom so that it's not just easy to just slap it when it's right next to my bed. I have to get out of bed, and at that point, I'm usually willing to stay out. I definitely do battle the snooze sometimes still, um, but the thinking there is just that you, after you are sleeping, after you hit your snooze button, you're just going to go into these light periods of sleep. And that's really not going to be beneficial. And it's going to be negative a lot of times because you can kind of develop a sleep inertia, 
which is something we're probably also familiar with when you just wake up and you're super groggy and you feel like you can't shake the tiredness for a while. That's going to be way, way, way more of an issue if you're, if you're snoozing in the morning. Another good tip for waking up in the morning is if you don't exercise first thing in the morning, which I know some people do, uh, but if maybe if you have it planned for later in the day, for in the afternoon, over lunch, whatever it is in the evening, uh, try to get a little bit of exercise first thing, maybe do a few stretches, yoga poses, a uh, few push-ups. I like to do pull-ups in the morning. I have a pull-out bar that I usually hit for a few reps in the morning. Anything that's going to kind of get your, your blood pumping and kind of get you started. Um, like I've talked about before and like I've sort of touched on, I think the physical and mental parts of ourselves are so interconnected. And so if you wake up the body, that's going to vitalize the mind as well. And then the last thing here, if you're feeling bold enough, you can try uh, a cold shower in the morning, which is really going to wake you up and help wake up a lot of endorphins, uh, a lot of those feel-good chemicals. I, f- I promise you, as shitty as it feels when you're when you're in the moment, it feels really good when you when you come out of that cold shower. And you know, if you want to do warm water before after, that doesn't necessarily negate it in my view. But you could also just do some cold water in the face, something to have a contrast to you know the warm feeling that you kind of have after you come out of sleep and from being under the covers is going to really help wake you up. The second topic I wanted to talk about today is a little bit about macros. Now this isn't going to be an outline by any means. Um, hopefully you're familiar with macros. If not, if anything I say is confusing and you wanna break it down more, I definitely love to chat with you about that or kind of direct you to a place that you could better learn about that. But essentially, Um, what macros are, or just the carbs, fats, and proteins, and even the alcohol that we drink. Uh, That's a lot of times referred to as the fourth macro, but it's the the different calories that make up our diet and just the different foods that contain these calories. So fats um, have nine calories per gram. Uh, Obviously, most of the fat we get is from maybe nuts, oils, that can be fat, saturated fat in animals, um, that's nine calories a gram, like I said, and then we have carbs and protein where we get the rest of our calories from that aren't from alcohol, which alcohol is something I'm going to touch on a little bit, but those both have four calories per gram. So that is what makes up our macros. If hopefully that helps out if you weren't super familiar. So just for example, like a quick macro profile for someone who is give or take about 150 pounds and is wanting to eat about 2,400 calories a day. This could be maybe maintenance for this person or maybe just a little above maintenance. But anyway, uh, we'll say 150 grams of protein, like you've hopefully heard me say before, you want to try to get around that one gram of protein per pound of body weight, say 250 carbs to make it easy. Um, We will add up to 400 uh, grams of carbs and proteins combined. Multiply that by four because there's four calories per gram in carbs or protein. That equals 1,600. And then if the rest of your calories were from fat, that would be 100 grams of fat at nine calories a gram would be 900. So maybe I said that wrong. Did I say 24? So that would be 2,500 calories a day. Uh, But that's how that works anyway. So something I've become more cognizant of is being aware uh, for a long time, the biggest thing that helped me was counting calories weekly. So realizing that, again, we'll use the weekend example because that's usually when people are eating more. Uh, If you want to eat a little bit more on the weekends, you can feel free to do so and limit your diet more during the week to eat a little bit less calories so that if your goal is, for example, fat loss and you need to, for another simple example, average 2,000 calories a week, if you're going more along the lines of closer to 
2400 on Saturday and Sunday, then all you need to do is negate that 800 calorie surplus on the weekends by eating close to 200 calories less per day uh, during the weekdays. So 1800 for this example of a person trying to eat it in a 2000 calorie deficit. So spreading macros throughout the week is huge. And the more you learn about this and the more you track macros yourself, the more intuitively you'll be able to eat. And this is kind of comes from a conversation I just had, but it's very interesting the way that intuitive eating is brought up, brought up or talked about um, because basically can intuitive eating work for you? It depends what your intuitions are. If you eat a typical American diet or you don't have a background knowledge on proper nutrition principles and things like that, the way you eat intuitively is probably going to be unhealthy. But if you have a baseline knowledge of what's appropriate, what's a good diet, for example, for myself, I know that my typical diet or uh, the best version of my diet is usually having a few protein feedings a day, having four to six servings of fruits and vegetables a day, eating mostly whole grains, stuff like that. I can go about that intuitively because I've spent a lot of time tracking and uh, weighing out foods, things like that. So you might have to do that for uh, not necessarily an extended period of time, but definitely maybe something like a month would probably be a good period to have enough background knowledge on that. But having that baseline knowledge will allow you to be more intuitive and allow you to adjust. And where I kind of wanted to go with this was it was interesting. The, this last weekend, I was out of town and I was really off of my normal diet routine. And so I think that what came into play is something that I've done a lot, which is not only did I try to kind of manage calories during the week, knowing that this was coming up and afterwards as well, but you can kind of do that with your individual macros as well. So if you know that you want to get close to, like for me, it's close to about 180 grams of protein per day. If I know that I'm going to be out and about and that's not going to be as readily available, uh, you can have more protein on the days leading up or the days after. And that's not going to be completely the same, but it definitely, I think, in my opinion, it will help fill in the gaps as far as you have a couple uh, low days. So not necessarily only looking at the calorie aspect of it, but being sure that you're uh, keeping up with your other goals as well. Like for example, I made sure that I had my greens powder in addition to having some servings of fruits and vegetables uh, before and after the weekend, because I knew that that was something that lacked. So it's just things like that, realizing that it doesn't have to be completely X and O's and always be completely strict day by day, but it's what you do overall that's really going to guide your nutrition as a whole. That's the most important thing is what you do on a regular basis. One day of shitty eating can definitely negate your progress. I don't want to, you know, act like it can't or act like a cheat day is something that's going to want to be included on a regular basis. That's a whole nother uh, topic, but just know that you can kind of curtail yourself and adjust on a, on a weekly basis or even broader. And that, you know, just because you have a shitty day doesn't mean that anything's ruined. It doesn't mean completely go off the deep end. We have these balances. Our body does it naturally, but we can uh, help it along the way as well. And then something interesting that I wanted to note, this will be the last thing here, but uh, kind of reflecting on my own journey, which I try to do a lot. I've come a long way in my own view of nutrition and, and eating. And something that I remember learning 
over the past year that's really interesting is that uh, kind of looking at other aspects of maintaining a healthy body composition and maintaining a healthy body, um, less along the lines of hitting macro targets and more along the lines of just eating a consistently good diet, which as I've talked about before, can be dangerous because if you don't realize, um, if you don't realize it, it is easy to overeat some quote unquote clean foods. But anyway, uh, one of the things that I find interesting is that you in studies, you naturally eat less as you eat consistent and similar meals over time. And so I think that when you have a healthy diet and you have um, an optimized diet, which, which, which I see as being something where you eat many of the same foods because you know what's going to hit your macro profile that you're looking for. And so that goes back to the what is your intuition? I've kind of geared my intuition towards these certain outcomes. Uh, but anyway, on the topic of self-regulation, I found that since I've counted and been aware of calories for so long, and that's always been a consideration for me, I think that my body kind of naturally waxes and wanes better. Um, going into the specific example that made me think of this here, I definitely overate a lot more uh, over this past weekend than is than is typical for me and drank a lot too, which is a lot of extra calories. And I felt the past two days uh, that I've been back home after my vacation is over, I felt a lot less hungry. And I feel like, again, this is one of those things that's totally anecdotal to me, but I felt that I haven't felt the need to eat my my typical amount of calories that I that I would be eating right now but I've been able to eat less and haven't been hungry for the normal amount, leading me to believe that my body kind of is adjusting to its base level. And like I kind of talked about, knows how to adjust by this point to, to what I need and what is usual and regular for me. So I hope that any of the things in this podcast brought you some value. Again, some sort of nuanced stuff here. So if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out with those. But otherwise, enjoy the rest of your day, week, etc. And I hope that you come back again and listen to my podcast, listen to other ones, reach out, share with family, friends, all that good stuff. Hey, it's Jake again. If this podcast provided you any value, I'd encourage you to share it with someone who you think might enjoy it. In addition, it'd really help me out a lot if you would go and subscribe or leave a review for my podcast. It's super easy. And in addition, if you have any questions or comments, I'd love for you to reach out to me by email or Instagram DM, which can both be found on my website. Thanks.